Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. And I'm glad you're here this morning. Yeah, I was thinking about the, the very first church, um, literally the first church. It talks about it in Acts chapter 2, and it says uh, that they devoted themselves to the, to the apostles' teaching, to the teaching of the disciples that followed after Jesus. And, and I thought, you know, for 2,000 years, that's really what we've continued to do. It's not just the gospel uh, the, the story of the good news of Jesus' life, but, but in a lot of ways, it's the continuation of, of the ministry. The proof of that the gospel works is in the life of the disciples, right? And so today we're going to continue in 1 John, and we're going to, to pay attention to what John is teaching, one of these first churches that he had established and taught. First John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Listen, that's going to be as complicated as this message gets today. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil. And his brothers were righteous. Notice that. Because his deeds were evil. As compared to Abel's who was righteous. Do not be surprised brothers and sisters if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life. Because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He, Jesus, laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things, dear friends. If our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and we do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the Spirit he has given us. So these are the words which John finished the very last passage a couple of weeks ago when we were together. He said, "Who at this, uh, verse 10, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother or sister. Practice righteousness and loving brothers and sisters in Christ are hand in hand. 
Now, John already has given us many tests, true tests of faith. Like, how do we know for sure? How are we having this assurance? First, John is a book written so that we may know and so we may have confidence that we are his. And he has determined true faith so far multiple times. True faith boils down to knowing God, knowing him, not knowing about him, knowing him personally, obeying him, not knowing his truths, not memorizing scripture only, but, but obeying, obedience, application, knowing him, obeying him, and the proof of obeying and knowing is that we become transformed by the love that's generated there. When we know him personally, spending time with him intimately, learning from him, growing from him, emulating him, that we, we must obey him, not just specifically the word, but his character, his life. We begin to act like him, imitate him, reflect him. And the way that we know for sure that we've been with Jesus and that we're obeying Jesus is the way that we love each other. It's a simple message. As a result of knowing and obeying, we can purely and unconditionally love each other. So here's where we are as we begin chapter or middle of chapter three. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Now, very quickly, and just because we can, this word love is more than a confession, okay? This word love is in the present tense. And you may not see that in English, but in the original language, it is very, very clear. To love in the present tense means that there cannot be a time where we who claim to be Christians are not loving. That it's not an on again, off again, well, I love them most of the time, or if I get my way, or if we agree, or if somebody says, do you love them? You'd say, yes, I love them. But the truth of the matter is, is there is not a time where we're not just confessing love, but where we are demonstrating actively our love. And how do we know what kind of love that is? It's a love that comes from obeying Christ, that comes from knowing Christ. That's the kind of love that John is referring to here, this, this active love that does not, it is not the kind of love that overcomes you or that is imputed to you, in fact, because you're a Christian. You don't necessarily say, well, I'm a Christian, therefore I love. That's not the way that John uses this word. It is active on your part to do the work of love. It is on you to think through intentionally in every scenario to every difficult person you know in faith. And let's just be honest, there's a lot of difficult people that are Christians. God gives these people to us as precious gifts because they help us learn how to love better. If everybody was easy to love, what kind of model would that be like to the world? I, I jest only a little. I noticed that it's not funny to you, so maybe I struck a nerve. 
This is, a, this is a very intentional, purposeful, individual choice that I am making as a Christian to demonstrate love and not just any love. The love that God has shown me, I am to demonstrate to the most difficult person that I worship with. Now, again, I don't, I don't want to get lost in the, in the weeds here. I just want you to know that you don't have to take my word for it. This word is also written in the uh, subjunctive, okay? Which simply means, and this is tricky, and you need to write this down, that there is not a possibility that love is not possible. That it is always possible to love. Every time it's possible. It's not conditional in any sense of the word. Always possible to love. So when you think, well, you don't know what they did to me well, then you don't know what you've done to God. If you knew him better, you would know the offense that you have been. If you obeyed him better, you would know how hard you fail at being holy. And if you knew who you were and knew how little we were able to obey, it would be a lot easier to forgive and to love those around us. Amen? Because you take off your eyes off the right, the right thing. If you take your eyes off of him, then you put your eyes on you and you say, well, I deserve better. Or I, don't de I deserve more respect. Or I shouldn't be treated this way after all I've done or the journey that I've taken. And you make yourself the litmus test for learning or deserving love. So let's get this very clear. When he says that we are to love the brothers and sisters, this word is... Also plural, which means there's not one to which it doesn't apply. It's to everyone. Not just the ones that you're sitting in this room with. But there is to be a kingdom underneath the surface. A kingdom or maybe over the surface that exists when the world looks at the love that all Christians have for each other. It should, it should cause their appetites to be wet for a new kind of a relationship, a new kind of love, a love that they can hardly see from a place of brokenness. But I wonder what kind of, what kind of love does the church demonstrate? Not just to each other, but how does, and again, maybe the world's opinion of us is not the most important thing, but how does the world view the way we Talk about each other, serve each other, love each other, gossip about each other, protect each other. See, Christians, Christ followers, are to be known. The thing that we, by this they will know that you are mine is the love that you have for whom? Every other one unconditionally. Unconditional love is a gift from God. Love is who God is. Love is who we are to be as followers of God. Not conditionally. Not meet my expectations kind of love. But this real sacrificial love. So let's look at what John has to say about it. This is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brother's was righteous. 
John says right out of the gate, this is the message you've heard from the beginning. And then John takes us there to the very beginning. He's not talking about just the beginning of his teaching or the beginning of Jesus's ministry, but to the very beginning of the world. The message of love is foundational. It's fundamental. It's the oldest message there is for followers of God. What is the message? John says we should love one another. But not like Cain. Not like Cain. Seems like a really long throwback to Cain. John's going to talk a lot more about love for one another in chapter 4, so I don't want to steal from that, but as followers of Jesus, I'm, I'm going to say this. Uh, somebody's given me a nickel for every time I say love today, so I'm just kidding. That's not true. But if somebody would like to, I'll probably make a couple bucks. That's not a lot of money, but it's a lot of nickels. <laughs> uh, but the sacred, original message of our faith is love one another. Verse 12 tells us how we can avoid loving the wrong way. This is how we should not act like Cain. You should love, don't be like Cain. Cain was the one who committed the evil act of murdering his, his brother Abel. Cain and Abel were the two sons of Adam and Eve. Just a real quick catch up. They were the very first humans born of the earth. And they were brothers. But Cain was driven by a lack of love that would kill his brother. Now, many want to make this, this murder about what sacrifices that they you know, brought before the Lord, and perhaps it's got a lot to do with it. Um, the sacrifices, though, only revealed what was already going on. It already revealed what was going on in, in their hearts. And Abel offered, it says in Genesis chapter 4, that Abel offered the first fruits the first fruits of his herds, the very best. And by the way, before you get too excited, this is long before the law. Abel does this before it was commanded. Abel gives the best before it was commanded how to give it because Abel's heart had a personal relationship with God and he knew God and he obeyed God. He saw the worth of God. And yet when it comes down to Cain's offering, it says Cain offered of his garden. Not the first fruits of his garden, of his garden. And maybe that matters and maybe it doesn't. But I believe that it is speaking significantly to the view that Cain and Abel had of their creator. Abel wanted God and valued God to the first fruits. Cain valued God to go through the motions. And because his action was just simply going through the motions, he presents it to God, and the Bible says that God accepted Abel's offering but rejected Cain's offering. And it says that Cain was very, in the King James, wroth, angry, heated. He was inflamed. At who? Well, who didn't accept the offering? God. The only person to be angry at here is God. The only thing that Abel did was offer a different sacrifice, but Cain's relationship to God 
was taken out on his relationship to his brother. Now I want you just to sit on that for just a moment. Cain's relationship to knowing God and obeying God was best manifested in how he delivered a relationship to his brother. And he killed him. He was angry and he took it out in the wrong place. Whose responsibility was it? Was it Abel's fault that Cain brought in an insignificant, unvaluable to God offering? Is it Abel's fault that God accepted his offering and not Cain's offering? And yet Abel is the one who has the price to pay. Well, at least temporarily. So God showed Adam and Eve how to sacrifice when he made them clothes out of animal skins. Maybe that had something to do with what sacrifice Cain and Abel brought, a blood offering or a, you know, an offering from, from the garden of vegetables or whatever. But the point, the point that I want to make today is it reveals the heart of the sacrifice. It shows the, the heart shows their love. And so that illustration holds for John. Cain is just going through the motions. When did Cain become a killer? When he picked up the whatever it was that he hit Abel with? No, 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 no. Cain was a killer long before that. Because it was right here. Cain was a killer because his heart wasn't right with God. Cain had the heart of a killer when he wasn't loving God appropriately. He was capable of a murder because he had a lack of love. You don't have to live, and I want you to understand this so clearly, you do not have to live a life of evil to practice the detestable. If you were to look at Cain and you said, Cain, what are you doing? You know what Cain would say? I'm worshiping God. But is Cain worshiping God? No, he hates his brother because of his brother's righteousness. Cain wasn't acting evil. He wasn't... I won't, I won't start listing them. He was just going through the motions. He'd not been transformed by the love of God. So that's John's point. So, so what I would say here is where you see a lack of love in your life, where you see a lack of love in your life, a lack of obedience and a lack of relationship to God has already been there. When you see a lack of love, a lack of knowing God, time with God, and obedience was there before the lack of love. Somebody is in your life just grinding at you and you can't hardly put up with them or some situation goes on and you just can't handle it. Listen, love the other person, the other thing is not the issue. Your time with God and your obedience is the issue because it's not possible to have a scenario where love can't be manifested. Now we can choose not to manifest it. 
And so what it leads us to today is to so many followers of God bringing their sacrifices of half-heartedness in before the Lord, just going through the motions. But we really don't care about anybody. I really love anybody. We've got chips on our shoulder. We've got vendettas to meet out. We've got people to talk about, people to hate. Oh, we wouldn't hate them. No, we, we wouldn't hate them. We love them, but. Right? Oh, yeah, I love them. Bless their hearts. But did you know what? We need to pray for them because. We need to be people of love. Don't be like Cain. Be like Jesus. Learn to love. Verse 13, don't be surprised, brothers, when the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. John uses the word hate here. That's a, that's a really, really strong English word. In fact, some of you parents won't let your kids even use the word hate. It's so strong. It comes across so harsh. But it doesn't have to in Greek, and it also doesn't have to in English. In fact, some people can say, oh, I hate olives on my pizza. I mean, I don't really like, I don't want to murder olives. But it doesn't have to be so harsh, right? So I temper that back a little bit. We use that word a lot in ways that we don't quite mean it so heavy. And, and certainly that's the way it is used here as well. The word actually means to not give preference to or to love less than, okay? So it's, it's very similar when, when Paul uses the word and he says, uh, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. God does not hate Esau. He preferred Jacob over Esau, right, to continue the covenant. So Christians shouldn't expect, and we have for a long time, at least in the West, we have been given preferential treatment because we've seen ourselves as the majority but what John is telling these Christians is they shouldn't expect preferential treatment. Don't be surprised when the world hates you, when they don't give you preference, when they love you less, love you less than the way God loves you. Don't be surprised when you don't get everything you want. Don't be surprised when the world doesn't treat you like Jesus treats you. Don't be surprised. I don't know why we are. Why are we surprised when the world acts like the world? Why are we surprised when, when, when sinners sin? Because we want to be preferred. We want preferential treatment because we're right. And we've been right for a long time. This is an aside, but I would, if, if you struggle with that at all, I want you to write this down. If you love God, I mean like know him, obey him, love him. If you live that out in your everyday life, the world will hate you in proportion to the love that you display toward God in your life. Okay? So if you love God, the world will hate you in proportion to it. Well, if people don't love me, why should I love them? 
the world's not very loving, is it? Oh, it is if you do what, you want, what they want you to do. It is if you please them. If you've got something to offer them, oh, they, oh, they really love you. Yeah, they'll love you. But being loved by the world, I want you to listen to me so clearly, and I want you to read through all the gaps because I'm speaking to hundreds of people right now, and I want you to hear this for yourself, not, not like as a group, but being loved by the world cannot, must not be our motivation in life. Being approved and validated and preferred by the world cannot possibly be our goal. Giving God his ultimate glory must be our goal. So the, the, the framework that we even live by, like, like the, being a people pleaser, being a you know, politicking for approval and all that kind of stuff, you know, Christians can live like the world too, and yet we live in grace. God, forgive us when we want the approval of the world instead of the glory for God. See, the world's not been transformed by the power of God's love. We've received that. Because we have received that, we can respond to him in a relationship and obedience. And our love for other people is, is not conditioned about, upon whether or not they love us in return. Very quickly, some of you have heard me talk about this before, but there, there's three different types of loves that Christians are, are, are called to love. We, love. we love physical, and by the way, they're, they're best manifested in a marriage between a man and a, and a wife and a woman. So you have physical love, eros, you have like a kindred, knit, soulmate kind of love, friendship, love, uh, phileo, and then agape, right? Well, when you are born, you are born physically and emotionally, and we have the capacity to love physically and emotionally, right? Those are the two loves that we are born with, a physical love and an emotional love. And this is a love that the world understands. But when you say yes to Jesus and you receive his love, he gives you an entirely different set of loves. Like now all of a sudden we can, we can uh, obey how to love appropriately physically, how to obey appropriately emotionally. And he gives us, when he, wake, when he uh, raises our spirits from the dead, we now can also love spiritually. And folks, this is an unconditional kind of love that Christians have available to them that the world doesn't have available to them. So when Christians only express love physically and emotionally, they're not fully expressing this resurrection type of love, when Christians are not showing and demonstrating unconditional love to each other, we're proving that perhaps our spirits haven't really been resurrected. And that's the ultimate thing that John's getting to. Here's how you can tell. If you're not loving unconditionally, you're not a Christian. Our love for people is conditioned based upon the love that we have experienced from God, not the love that we've experienced from the world. The world is not capable of approving us. It's not capable of loving us unconditionally. It's not capable of offering the value that we crave from the world. And so we keep trying, we keep trying, we keep jockeying for position in line so that we can get ours. Maybe now they'll love us. Maybe now they'll approve us. They can't. But you can approve them. You can love them. 
You can be there for them. You can love them unconditionally and you can reveal to them a deadness about themselves that they'll want. We're working in reverse. We flip the script. I really believe that this is one of the reasons why Christians around the world, Christianity around the world thrives in persecution because Christians are not the majority there. Where Christians are the majority, they're not loving because they don't have to be. A couple weeks ago, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, says the reason the world does not know us is because it didn't know him, right? So don't be surprised if the world doesn't love you the way Jesus calls us to love. Don't look to the world to love you in the first place. All it's going to do is keep you set back, loving the things the world has to offer, the prestige, the reputation, the money, the stuff. Listen, folks, it's all going to be burned up. Everybody that you're seeking approval from is going to be burnt up for eternity. Why would we compromise? The love of the world can't bring you life. The love of the world can't break your slavery to sin. The love of the world can't heal your marriage and your family. The love of the world can't break the cycle of addiction and generations of brokenness. But God's love does all of that and more. So John tells us that we know that we've really been changed by the love of God, whether we've passed from death to life. And I love this. He says that we've departed from death. Like, like that's all of us have that in common, right? We're headed toward death. None of us have died just yet. We're headed toward death. And yet John says that we have departed from death, that we have passed from death to life. And so, wait a minute, I've already gone through death. That's exactly right. When you said yes to Jesus, you passed from death to life. We're already living, right? We're living in his kingdom. What, what John is simply saying here is that we now live with eternity in mind, not the world systems in mind. We're living with the kingdom of God in mind, not the kingdom of man. So now we're free to love. We're like walking above this higher plane than the world has to offer. How do we know? How do we know? How do we know that we've already passed from death to life? By how well we love each other. How will we love each other? So I, know, I know it's easy to say, wow, yeah, we, I love everybody in here right now. Yeah, you don't even know their name. It's easy to say, I love all you. Right? And I know that we do. We do. But how are we demonstrating? How are we actively demonstrating that? How are we engaging in each other's lives? How are we serving each other? How are we praying for each other and following up with each other? Who do we really love unconditionally? Who are we really loving sacrificially? Who would the world look at and say, whew, man, that person loves like Jesus? If you're focused on the kingdom of this world, you're going to love less 
If you focus on the kingdom of God, you're going to love more. Well, what if I don't want to do that? What if I don't want to love more? You don't know the people that I know. You don't know the circles that I'm in. Well, John has an answer for that. And I'll just read it. The one who does not love, what? Remains in death. That's clear. Let's go to verse 15 through 18. You know, the world thinks that it knows what love is, but... It doesn't. The world can't, can't know what love is, right? Verse 15 says, everyone who hates, remember, who loves less. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So, so we often let ourselves off the hook, and we say, well, I don't hate my brother. But it's not about like this pure hatred. It's about loving them less. You know, you say, well, that's pretty much down into semantics, right? Maybe it is, but loving them less than what? Loving them less than agape love allows us to love people. That's what John is saying. Whoever hates his brother, he's not saying whoever despises with us fiery anger. He says, whoever loves brothers and sisters less than agape love allows. John is comparing the expression of hate that the world has for Christians with the kind of love that Christians express to the world. Now, we're called to love the all, the plural, right? But here he says we are commanded to love the one, each individual. So again, there's one thing to say, I love all you all, plural. It's another thing for me to say, I love you. Boom, 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 boom. And here's how I'm loving you unconditionally. Each one of you, I'm finding a relationship, finding some source of ways to encourage and some ways that I can serve and some ways I can pray for. If I don't know you personally, I want to be able to pray for you. I want to be able to grow with you. That's what it looks like to love the brethren and sisters. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. So when we start saying, what kind of love? I mean, I love people. I don't, I don't like get mad at people. I may not know everybody, but I don't hate people. Here's where he says, this is how you'll know what love is. Jesus' sacrificial love, laying his life down for us, so we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. If anyone has the world's good, sees his brother in needs, he's talking about sacrificial love, like dying for one another, Right? Maybe, maybe literally, maybe figuratively, but dying for one another. Or there's a brother or sister who has a need. What do we do? If you've got the means to make it, meet it, how often do we say, well, you know what? You made your bed lie in it. Or I'm going to let you struggle just for a little while longer. Or you need to learn a lesson. Or it is some sort of excuse that we can use to get out of helping. <laughs> what does he say? Well, if you close your heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Verse 15, John says, if we don't love, if we love people less than God calls us to love, if we don't love other people, I mean, I hate it too, but we're murderers. 
kind of drastic, isn't it? A murderer? A murderer? Well, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. Whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. I don't, John didn't seem too far off base. He sounds a lot like Jesus here. Verse 16, that's how we've come to experience God's love in the first place. Jesus saves us. He lays his life down for us. And since Jesus lays his life down for us, if you know him personally and you live in obedience to God, out of that love, our lives are transformed by his love. So all of a sudden, when we begin to love one another, it's like I am fully, consistently aware of God's love. Because I know him, I'm spending time with him. I'm reading his word, I'm being enveloped by his arms. I know him and because I know him, I'm learning to trust him. Because I trust him, I am obedient to him and I follow his commands. And as I follow his commands, his love just pours into me, right? Just pours into me. And as his love pours into me, guess what begins to happen? It doesn't just pour into me, it pours through me. So I'm not loving you with a different type of love. I'm loving you with the same love that I'm loved with. And if your love for one another looks different than the love that he has shown you, I'm fearful that we're misunderstanding what it looks like to be a Christian. And I'll be honest with you. I got a lot of work to do. I'm learning too. I think we will continue to learn. I think we've been learning for 2,000 years what it looks like, but we need to be reminded often what it looks like to allow our relationship with God, how to give it away, make disciples, how to obey God, how to give it away, make disciples, be imitators of Jesus Christ and how to love and how to be givers of that love and be evangelists. And all of a sudden, you've got all of these things. You've got, you've got disciple making and evangelist. Everything that John tells us to do, if we will allow God to flow through us, we'll be everything God commanded us to be. Holy, complete, righteous. And our brother, Cain, will hate us for it. He goes, on, he goes on to talk about how it is by loving others that we can have a clear conscience before God. I really don't want to harp on this much, but for those who, who struggle with self-awareness, who struggle with identity, those who struggle with anxiety or worry, or assurance of their salvation, which is one of the themes that John is writing to this church over. Uh, those who struggle with insecurity, you know what John says? That this is the way that we can have certainty in our conscience, in our spirit, is if we love one another. You want to know why it feels so good to go to a nursing home and minister to people and you think you're trying to be a blessing? How many of you have ever done that? How many of you have ever cared for somebody that needed to be cared for and walked away feeling more blessed than they did? Anybody? 
Do you know why that is? 1 John chapter 3. When you love people sacrificially and when you, when you know God and your motivation is right for caring for people, it becomes a good conscience before God. There becomes this certainty. You feel the presence of God. You feel his love flowing through you. This is why. It's a promise. It's almost like there's so few formulas in Scripture, and this is one of them. If you want to know for sure that your lives have been changed, been transformed by the love of God, serve one another and you'll feel it. You can feel God's presence. You can feel his warmth. You can feel his nearness when you're loving one another sacrificially and unconditionally. And you know what? You, uh, anxiety will be done away. Paralysis of your uncertainty and insecurities will go away. But you know what happens is when, we're, when we get, and, I'm, and again, listen, I'm, I'm just another Christian, right? Uh, when we get anxious and we get defensive and we get bitter and we get worried and we get paranoid and we get paralyzed, we start shrinking away. You know what we ask ourselves? What do people think about me? What do people think about me? What do people think about me? Why do I think about myself? And we just get over in the corner and we just wait. Because I'm worried about how are people loving me? But this is how you know that you've passed from death to life. It's not about you thinking about how people are approving or validating you. It's about how much you are loving with the love that you've been loved with. And I'm telling you, if you will focus on being the lover rather than the loved, it will begin to shift the way you process anxieties and insecurities and those, those lies that we consistently tell ourselves. That's medicine. That's medicine. And John is giving us a really good dose of good medicine there that we are desperate for. In our day today, where Christians are paralyzed because of they've lost their identity, if we've ever needed to learn the lesson of loving sacrificially and unconditionally, serving together, leaning into each other, praying together, laboring together, it's today. And when the world, the anxious, broken, insecure, threatened world around us begins to see the security of the believers, it'll transform our neighborhood. It'll transform our community. In fact, it'll transform any community where the gospel is lived out. So today... I'd like for you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I would like for us as individuals, I want us to think, how can we love better? If you've not experienced the love, the unconditional, sacrificial love of Jesus, and you're not walking in obedience and you're not walking in a personal relationship with him, I'm telling you, the only thing this world has to offer is insecurity, instability. And anxiety. 
And the only way that you'll ever feel like you're on sure footing is when you're getting your way. But you know, for the believer, it's like the only way that I feel secure, the only way I'm on sure ground is when I know that God is getting his way. So if you, if you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, maybe for the first time, or maybe you need to return to Jesus, today's the day to do that. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and there's issues, maybe some barriers, maybe some lies you're telling yourself that has you over. You know, I think of the, the verse, in fact, John's gonna, John's gonna actually use this verse in just a couple of weeks in 1 John uh, chapter 4. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear, he says. How can I love better? How can I love people well? How can I get outside of my bubble and love people unconditionally? How can I learn to pray for people better? How can I get to know people in a way that I can minister to them? Because I want to be certain. I want to be assured. I I need those assurances. I need to know that God's love is passing through me. I want us just to pray for a moment. Ask God to reveal some opportunities for us, some ways that we can begin to pray and And then that we can walk in obedience and begin to implement and apply what the Holy Spirit teaches us. Lord, your love never fails, never ends. if, If perhaps we are at that place in our faith where we think that we are loving perfectly, I pray that we would continue to get to know you more deeply. To obey you more fully. To to learn how to love more unconditionally. Lord, we are selfish by nature. Thank you for applying your nature into us. And I pray, Lord, that as we learn as a how to love that the world will be able to see uh, your love from here and they'll be warmed by it the same way we were when we said yes forgive us Lord where we have failed you forgive us where we have neglected love or we have overlooked the least of these Lord forgive us for the unforgiveness or the perhaps even the the, the the neglect that we have allowed to be formed and Lord this morning I just ask that you would soften our hearts so that we can offer to you the first fruits 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you need to pray about something, maybe God has spoken to your heart or maybe you need to have a fresh encounter with the Lord, I'm going to hang out down here for just a couple of minutes. I'd love to pray with you before, before you go. Uh, but I pray that as you go, I think if, I, I love to tell this story, but the Apostle John had pastored the church at Ephesus for a while, and that's where he ended up his ministry, just attending church before he died. And he, he got to where he couldn't walk because he spent so much time in prayer. His knees had moved up, and uh, they had to carry him everywhere he went. So these guys bring him into church, and they'd set him down on the row and pastor at the end of each service would say, Pastor John, do you, have a, do you have a word for the brothers and sisters? And he would say, end every service with love the brethren. So may that be our mission today as we go. Love, love one another. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.